So back in 2007, I attended a, I guess it was a retreat. It was a group of seminary students from different seminaries across Texas, really across the country. And there was a group there, it was a Jewish group of students, and uh, every morning one of the groups would uh, lead the others in a devotional. And this Jewish group, I think it was a Tuesday morning, led all of the, uh, the students there in some morning devotionals, and they showed us how they prayed. And they gave us copies of their prayers. And I still have a copy of that prayer, of those prayers, because they told us, if you're going to take these copies of these prayers, you cannot throw them away. If you decide to get rid of them, you either need to go burn them, or you need to go to your local synagogue and give this set of prayers to them, and they'll know how to dispose of it. But whatever you do, do not throw these scriptures away in the trash. And I was quite impressed by that, uh, the sanctity and the holiness that they attached to the scriptures. And I said prayers earlier, but that's really what they were. They prayed the scriptures, and that was even more impressive to me, was the way that they prayed, the content of their prayers. And at the heart of their prayers was the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. These ancient words, ancient words that we hear every Ten weeks here at Brentwood Oaks. We heard them last week. Uh, ancient words that we just sang together, uh, that Isaac led us in this morning. Ancient words that Jesus esteems and, and elevates as the greatest of all the commandments. And we're going to hit on that this morning in our sermon passage, Matthew chapter 22. If you want to go ahead and turn there to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is really getting to the heart of the matter. And he says some very weighty things here at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Of course, everything Jesus says is weighty, but here especially what we find are the last words of Jesus. Over the last few weeks, we're going to look at his last words, the words that he wants to leave his disciples with. And when someone is speaking their last words, we need to pay attention and so these last words are said in the context of confrontation. Confrontation that really began in last week's sermon text when Jesus came into Jerusalem. And the first thing he did was cleanse the temple, reclaiming his house from the religious establishment. And when Jesus went on the offensive, inevitably there was going to be some pushback. And there was. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, this whole group came back at Jesus, and they asked him some questions. Not innocent questions, mind you. There was a motive behind these questions. Just to set the context of our sermon text, let's look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. It says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. They were setting traps for Jesus in his words, trying to humiliate him, but also they were trying to gather evidence. Well, evidence for what? Well, evidence for the inevitable trial that was looming. And so what we, what we have in Matthew 22 is really a game of words, a battle of wits. First, the Pharisees come, 
and they tried to gather evidence against Jesus as an insurrectionist against the Roman Empire, it doesn't work. The next thing, the next group that comes are the Sadducees, another Jewish sect. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so they tried to come up with a scenario, a hypothetical, a conundrum to trick Jesus in his words. It doesn't work. In fact, just the opposite happens. The crowds who are overhearing this are astonished. Well, the Pharisees come back for one more shot. And this time they send the big guns. They send a lawyer. One who knows the little details of the law. Perhaps the lawyer will be able to trip Jesus up. And this is what happens. Our sermon text this morning, Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 34. Hear the word of God. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend... Some translations say hang. The the image there is something hanging on a doorpost. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. Well, may God bless the reading of his word. I am not an anti-smartphone guy. Although I'm kind of ambivalent as to, is it really necessary to have one of these things? There is a movement against smartphones. It's a very tiny movement amongst the hipsters. They're starting to buy flip phones again. Going back into the Stone Age. Sending texts with the little letters above the numbers there on the keypad. And part of the reason why they're doing this is because they're They were trying to experience what's called digital detox. They feel overly connected. And so they're trying to get away from always being connected to others. So they're getting rid of their smartphones. And I would probably join them, except for a few things. Group texts are really nice with a smartphone. I enjoy not lugging around a big camera. It's nice to have a camera. I'm not doing a commercial for a smartphone by the way. But one of the things I really love about a smartphone is the GPS function. I'm trying to remember what life was like before that. Before we had those apps, Waze, Google Maps, whatever you use to get to your destination. And as much nostalgia as I might have about having to go into a convenience store and ask for directions... Or having to go to a payphone and write the draw a little map on, the, on a napkin as you're talking to someone. Or pulling over to the side of the road and getting out and looking at the sun to find your bearings. I've done all three of those, by the way. <laughs> I really like having the directions plotted out for me and that nice, sweet voice telling me where to go. She never gets angry. 
When I make a wrong turn, overshoot the exit, there's this nice voice redirecting, repositioning, rerouting me to my destination. What would life be like without GPS? I think in our sermon text this morning, the Pharisees could have used a GPS. They'd lost their way. They needed to be rerouted, and the sad thing is, I don't think they realized it. They didn't even know they were lost. Now, they had the same destination we have today to get in right relationship with God, but somewhere along the way, they had taken a few wrong turns, and now they were lost. You see, for the Jewish people, right relationship with God involved obeying the commandments of the Torah, the Torah being the law of Moses. It was following the commands. It was carrying out the right sacrifices, making sure you attended the right festivals, making sure you lived in that proper rhythm of worship. And this was not easy to do, and it had become burdensome, partly, mostly, because of the Pharisees themselves. Because if the law of Moses was a road map, there are plenty of twists and turns and side streets and back alleys. In the Torah, there are 613 commandments, 248 positive, 365 prohibitions, negative commands. Lots of commands. And then there's the commentary on the commands, which are commands within the commands. Now, it's not a bad thing to obey the commands. In fact, Jesus says, we can finish the sentence, if you love me, you will what? Obey my commandments. We are commanded to obey the commands. But there's a point where the priorities can get out of sorts with obeying the commands. And in trying to keep all the commands and the commands within the commands, the Pharisees had lost their way as to what was truly important. This morning in our Bible classes, we worked through Matthew chapter 23, the woes given to the Pharisees. And the critique, the the major theme there, is that the, the Pharisees were majoring in the minors so to speak. Focusing on the wrong side streets instead of the main road. We read it last week in Matthew 23, verse 23, where Jesus says, You are tithing correctly, but you are neglecting the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. Jesus would say that you are cleaning the outside of the cup, but inside you are full of self-indulgence. You're full of greediness. They had lost their way. We see it in the stories, just working through the Gospel of Matthew. The Pharisees get upset. Do you remember the story on the Sabbath day, the day of rest, when the disciples are starving and they pluck a few heads of grain and they start to eat? And the Pharisees get upset. You're not supposed to do that, even though you're starving. They get upset at Jesus at healing on the Sabbath day. In fact, Jesus invites that controversy. They chastise Jesus' disciples for not washing their hands before supper in the tradition of the elders. And Jesus says, you're not even honoring your mother and father correctly, and you're getting upset at the disciples. And then we saw last week the religious establishment getting upset with the noise, the children, the blind, the lame, there in the temple shouting Hosanna to the son of David. They had lost their way, 
behind an obsession of keeping every jot and every tittle of the law. The, the law had moved from being a tool to reach their destination to becoming their master. They were slaves to the law. And they needed to be rerouted. Not that we are immune from needing to be rerouted ourselves. Do we need to be rerouted this morning? Have we taken a wrong turn? Well, this morning, just like last week, we have some opportunity to think about this on a church level, but also on an individual level. And especially in this age of distraction, are we not susceptible also to losing our way as to what is the most important? Are we not prone to major in the minors as well? Well, just thinking about this on a church-wide level here at Brentwood Oaks, a church this size with everything that goes on here, there's, there's, lots, there's a lot of organization, there's a lot of administration that has to be done. Think about all the things that goes on just for a Sunday morning. The maintenance of the building, the upkeep of the grounds, paying the bills, organizing, executing the ministries of this church, organizing, planning the worship, keeping up with the website, handing out orders of worship there at the door, making sure we have the Lord's Supper prepared and cleaned every week, making sure the building is clean, all the sound, all the audio, sharing space with the school. We have a, a huge ministry here at BCS and and sharing space and making sure that is functioning correctly and a thousand other things that need to be organized and executed. It's administration. And by the way, administration is a spiritual gift. Paul lists it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. We have to do it some way. We have to organize. And these are all good things. But even good things can take our focus off of the weightier matters of the law if we're not careful, if we're not careful to keep our priorities straight. But what about this on an individual level? How are we doing with our priorities? Do we have our priorities straight when it comes to our time, our resources, our devotion? Or have we lost our way on what is truly important? One of the blessings we have in gathering together for worship assemblies, and one of the reasons why I think the writer of Hebrews says, do not neglect meeting together in the assemblies, is because we have the opportunity to recenter ourselves. As human beings, I think we all struggle at some point with spiritual amnesia. It is easy to forget what's truly important in this world, and what's important in life. And so here on a Sunday morning, after a week of busy schedules, and we're just in a stage of life, some of us, where we're just busy. We get to gather together and pause and take a step back and gather around this table and remember what is truly important. To remember what is the greatest commandment. So just thinking to ourselves in the pews, thinking about your own life, lives, are the good things getting in, way, in the way of the best things? 
Have we taken a wrong turn in setting our priorities? Do we need to be rerouted this morning? Well, then we stumble upon, we come upon passages like Matthew chapter 22, and we hear a voice. If we have the ears to hear, we have a voice redirecting us, rerouting us. As we listen in on this lawyer, this conversation between this lawyer and Jesus, this lawyer who's asking a very important question, of all the 613 commandments, which one is the most important? When I was reading this this week, I kept thinking, I wonder what the lawyer's answer was. Because if he was a lawyer, I mean, any lawyer worth his or her salt Never ask a question that they don't already know the answer to. What was his answer? Was he surprised at Jesus' answer? I mean, Jesus doesn't even hesitate. He doesn't say, give me a second, let me work through the 613 commands, and I'll come back with an answer for you in an hour. He doesn't bat an eye. Because Jesus has his priority straight. He says the greatest commandment, first and foremost, above all else, is to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength and mind. And the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two things. And the Pharisees, what they failed to recognize in that moment is that Jesus was giving them a gift. God with us. Emmanuel was providing a voice to redirect us, to reroute them to that which was truly important. To crystallize for them that, that overarching guiding principle that colors and directs and gives meaning and purpose to all the other commandments if they only have the ears to hear. But the sad story is they don't. They hear the voice redirecting them and they say, no, I know my own path. And they continue on that path toward destruction. Can we hear the voice this morning? Do we need to be rerouted? Two commands. Twin commands that are forever linked We sing a song about it, the greatest commands, love God, love neighbor. There's a reason why these two commandments are the greatest of the commandments, not only because they summarize all of the law, but they also do something for us on a a very personal basis. These two commandments go to the very heart of what it means to be a disciple. Because it's these two commandments that truly de-center us. And that's really what we need as human beings. The temptation from the garden is to be a God of ourselves. To become like God. And with these two commands, we have the opportunity to move outside of ourselves. First, to the transcendent. To someone who is bigger than us. Someone who is beyond the borders of humanity's thinking our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer, we fix our affections on the transcendent. But secondly, horizontally, 
we move outside of ourselves toward the other, toward our neighbor. We consider their needs before our own. We do, as Paul says, that very hard word. We consider others better than ourselves. And what's happening is we, Jesus is helping us move away from ourselves as the center of our universe. He's restoring our true humanity. So at the end of the day, it is this movement away from ourselves and our desires that really sets the framework for our lives. It's, it's that movement outside of ourselves that really redirects us whenever we take a wrong turn. It's, it's that movement outside of ourselves that really should run through every single thing that we do here, from bulletins to vacuuming to preparing meals to praying over this order of worship each and every week, everything, those four statements back there, listen to the outward trajectory as I read them, worshiping God, bringing people to faith, conforming to the image of Jesus, caring for others in need. That's just a restatement of love God, love neighbor. Love God, love neighbor. That was the GPS for Israel, the heartbeat of their prayers. That was the GPS for the early church. That is the GPS for the people of God here today at Brentwood Oaks here in 2019. I like my smartphone. It's gotten me out of a lot of jams couple of years ago I left my house on time to do a funeral for someone and I ran into a traffic jam like I've never witnessed before and I pulled out my smartphone and it gave me another way got me out of a bind I'm thankful for the technology but I am eternally grateful for the GPS that God provides his people through the commandments that we just read about in our sermon passage today, the commandments that Jesus gives that lawyer to love God, to love neighbor, these commandments that will always redirect us to what is truly important whenever we've lost our way. Well, maybe this morning we come here and we find ourselves having made a wrong turn in life and maybe we need to be rerouted. And this is the opportunity to do this if you would like the prayers of your church to walk alongside you in refinding and finding that center and recentering yourselves around God and His purposes, now's the time to come forward. If you have come to a place of belief and you're ready to be baptized, to put on Christ, to clothe yourself with Christ, to be incorporated into the family, the body of Christ worldwide. That opportunity is available. And if you've done so and you would like to join in with what God is doing here at Brentwood Oaks and place membership with us, now's the time to come as we stand and as we draw near to God. Mm-hmm.